Uh, let me have my warm, warm welcome to you this morning. Uh, my name's David. I'm part of the team here as well. I'm mostly usually at Rosebud and welcome to those who are watching online. And as has been mentioned a few times this morning, we are in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. So I like the way Josh did that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, easy to remember. Um, but there's some great things to be said here. And I just want to remind people again of the context. It's been great the way today's services come together. Um, I wasn't involved in some of the planning pieces, but Dave and talking about his book today fits in perfectly with what uh, this passage is about and Joss's little talk here. Uh, it's a great thing how it all comes together. But just a quick reminder, again, the context. So Timothy, uh, particularly, and the church in general, is under enormous pressure. So even when we think about our circumstances today in church history, it's kind of always been part of the church. There's always been some sort of external pressure on the church to either keep quiet about Jesus. If you remember the story in Acts where the Sanhedrin tells um, Peter and John, John and Peter, yeah, to keep quiet uh, and not to talk about Jesus. And there's always something going on. Um, and in Ephesus in particular, the church was born in controversy. When you know, if you go back and read Acts 19, uh, there's all sorts of dramas going on there and they're trying to get the church shut down before it even gets started. So that's the kind of context that we're in today here. And as has already been mentioned, um, it's relevant, the book of Timothy is relevant to us today because we're under the same kind of pressure. We're under this pressure to either keep quiet about Jesus or to modify the gospel. And that was what was happening uh, in Ephesus as well. To modify the gospel just enough to fit in with the sensibilities of the ancient world for Timothy or for us today. Just modify it enough so that people think we're okay and that we're not kind of some sort of lunatic fringe. Now, if you've never felt the pressure of this, you just try for a moment. Um, let's get that picture up there. <laughs> you just try for a moment to go against the, the popular opinion that's in the media of the day. You go against that with some sort of orthodox Christian uh, set of values and then you'll quickly find that there's this enormous pressure on you to keep quiet and to conform to what's going on around you. And so this book is relevant to us today. And what Paul's got to say to Timothy is what he would want to say to us today as well. So we've got to keep that in the back of our minds as we read through this passage. So it's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and uh, verses 1 to 13 we're going to look at today. All right, if you've got a Bible there or if you want to follow it on on the screen, it says this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to those reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. 
If we die with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, obviously, there's an enormous amount of stuff that could be said out of that whole passage. But what I've got to do today in the next 10 minutes um, is try and compress all of that down into the one really important thing Paul is trying to get across here. The one important thing he's trying to get Timothy and the early church to do. And it's really quite a simple thing, although much more difficult to do. And it's this. Therefore, my son, be strong. Be strong is the core message of what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy here and the message for us today. Be strong. And it's be strong in two ways and for one really important reason. All right, That's what Paul's getting across here. So the first way, let's look at a little bit of the detail of this. The first way Paul's saying about being strong is when he uses this analogy, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And the sense of Be strong against the opposition that is going to come against you. Be strong against those who want to persecute you. Be strong against those who are going to bring hardship against you. Be strong and stand up against that physical pressure on you to either be quiet or to modify the gospel. Now, fortunately for us today, very few of us have to face any of that physical persecution or physical pressure um, from the uh, general culture around us. But those who worship God in other parts of the world do. Those who worship in the Middle East, those who worship in places where Islam is dominant, they have to be worried about whether or not their physical life is in danger if they start talking about Jesus in public. But for us, we don't have to worry about that one so much. But that's the first one. Be strong against the physical opposition that is going to come and the hardship. Now, Paul uses three analogies here to help uh, Timothy and the others understand what this is all about. And these analogies are brilliant. I wish I had more time because I'd love to detail, get into these three analogies. But he uses the analogy of a soldier, an athlete and a farmer. Now, all three of those in the ancient world, everybody intuitively understood they are difficult jobs. They are difficult roles. If you want to be a soldier, you're going to have to face hardship. There's no doubt about it. There's no easy role if you're a soldier. If you're an athlete and you want to compete in the ancient world, if you're going to win, then you have to be prepared to suffer. You have to be prepared to do the hard work that it takes to win according to the rules in that competition. And in the ancient world, a farmer, it's hard enough in today's world, but in the ancient world, it was a brutal life having to farm the ground and just relying on God for all of the rain and for all the uh, nutrients in the soil and all that sort of stuff. It was difficult, hard work. You couldn't wake up in the morning and say, oh, it's a bit cold out today. Oh, I'm not going out in the field. Otherwise, you'll have no crops. Or the converse, if it's boiling hot and it's time for harvest, you can't wake up in the morning and go, oh, a bit hot out there today. I don't think I'll go out. I'll wait for a cooler day. No, your crops will be ruined. You've got to get out. You've got to be prepared to suffer. Now, what's brilliant about these uh, analogies is they do two things at the same time. They also talk, at the same time of talking about the hardship and the suffering you have to um, endure, they also talk about the reward at the same time that you please your commanding officer, that you win a crown, that you receive the first of the crops. And so that's a brilliant thing because he actually picks that up a little bit later and I'll I'll go to it in a minute. So there's the whole thing about be strong against hardship and against persecution and against opposition. Be strong against that. 
Then the second one is this. Now, this is fascinating. Again, I wish I had more time. Um, So here Paul says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Now, anyone who's read the Bible knows that Paul says a whole lot more than just that. All right? These are just tiny little summary statements. They're little kind of idea bubbles that open up into this huge world of information, each of those things. But why does Paul use those three things to say, this is my gospel? See, they were the three things that were causing so much controversy. They were the things that were getting the early church into trouble. And there was pressure on them just to modify the gospel slightly so that they would fit in with the sensibilities of the Jews and with the ancient Greek world, the ancient Roman world. And there was this pressure just to shift the gospel a little bit so that you wouldn't be under that kind of persecution. Um, Now, those three things here, I'll just briefly... So Jesus Christ... Now, we all know, don't we, that Jesus Christ, that Christ is not Jesus' second name, right? We know that, yeah. Christ is saviour. Jesus the saviour. Right? Now there's a whole world of information about what does that mean? What do we need saving from? Why is there a saviour? What the whole history of the Old Testament and what's going on there is kind of encapsulated in that. Right? But it was causing trouble because the Jews didn't want Jesus to be the saviour. The law is the saviour. And the ancient Greek world didn't want Jesus to be the saviour because their gods were the saviours. You had to give offerings and uh, libations to their gods. And so there's a whole thing here where the conflict is going on between these two things. And then the same raised from the dead. There's a whole lot of controversy around that. There was a whole group of people within Judaism who didn't believe in resurrection. Then in the ancient world, the people there said, that's crazy. If he's a god, how can he raise from the dead? He wouldn't have died. There's a whole lot of stuff going on there and then the whole thing about descendant from David now this one goes back to 2 Samuel 7 I really encourage you to go read that all right that's the promise that God gives David about an eternal king who will reign over an eternal kingdom now this is controversial in the ancient world because it means Jesus is the king of kings not Caesar this is, this is the person we have to defer to. This is the person you have to give allegiance to because he is the everlasting king over the kingdom of God and you have to actually submit to him. And that was controversial uh, in the day. And so there's all this pressure on um, the ancient church to just shift enough so that they weren't causing trouble in their world. Right? And if you want to go back and read Acts 19, you can see what was going on there in more detail. But no time for that today. All right. So what is it? Today, we're in the same situation, right? We're not necessarily under physical um, threat, but we are under this social thing to push the gospel just slightly so that we can fit in with the, the uh, current sensibilities of the world today. And there are sections of the church who have already done that. They've already capitulated to that pressure. Now, you think of there is a whole... Um, school of thought within Christendom today when it comes to Jesus rising from the dead who actually say, no, that never happened. Come on, it's just a myth. They've capitulated to the the gods of empiricism and rationalism and those things. Oh, no, people, when they're dead, they're dead. They don't rise again. That was just a symbolic way of saying that you can have this new spiritual life. Jesus didn't actually die and then rise again. Well, he died, but he was just a man. He wasn't the son of God. And so there's this whole thing of people, they don't believe in the virgin birth, they don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, they don't believe in the miracles in the scriptures because the dominant authority is rationalism, not the word of God, not Christ himself. And then you've got 
That's one area. And then we've got now an emerging area, this thing about descendant from David. That's highly offensive to say Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and we all have to give an account to him. That's highly offensive in the current world today because we've got this whole thing of the postmodern world now where it's all about inclusion and tolerance. And if you make an exclusive claim, man, you're, you're an extremist. You're a religious bigot. If you say Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, man, that, you're in for all sorts of pressure, social pressure from people. And so there's this already happening in the church and there are groups of people now um, within Christendom who are saying those sorts of things like, oh no, Jesus is a way. Jesus, yeah, look, it's a symbolic thing that you know, we all have to defer to God, whoever that might be. Uh, and there's this, all this stuff going on within the church across the world today. And so there's pressure on us to just move the gospel over. And what Paul is trying to say to Timothy and what he's trying to say to us and what he's saying to the early church is be strong against those pressures. Be strong against those forces. Now, the temptation for us is to think, oh, yeah, 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 no, no, oh, yeah, yeah. That's really for these people. That's for the super Christians. That's for the ones who are really strong and bold uh, and get out there and say something in front of other people. That's not for me. I'll just keep quiet. I won't say too much. I'll just look for when those opportunities might come. And I'll actually, in the end, we end up capitulating to what's going on around us rather than being bold and standing up. Now, you might think that it's just for the super Christians, the Timothys, the Pauls, the great saints of the past. But look what Paul actually tells us in verse 2 where he says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witness entrust to reliable people. That's you and me. That's just ordinary Christians who are willing to kind of receive the gospel, believe it, and actually live by it. That's what reliable people are. That's what it's talking about. So this is for you and for me. It isn't for some sort of special person who has some sort of special ability to, um, to, to debate people or to stand up or to say these things or to uh, deal with conflict. It's for all of us. And this is what I love about the Christian faith. This is what kind of separates it from so many other things. Look what else Paul actually says here. What are we supposed to be strong in? Are you supposed to be one of these strong and courageous you know, people who is willing to go to the grave, that you've got some sort of internal strength that other people don't have? No, look what he says. Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. It's open to all of us. It's not just some certain types of people, certain types of characteristics. It's open to everybody. That's what I love about the faith. Anyone can actually join in and what's on offer here is accessible to every person. All of us can access the grace of God. It's right there. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's the spirit living in us. All we need to do is actually start asking God to give us the grace we need for each day. That's all. You don't have to be somebody special, right? And we kind of get this thing and we, we lock ourselves out because we have a, an imaginary picture of what you type of person you have to be. Just an ordinary person is all you have to be. I'll tell you a story about someone from Rosebud. Uh, I actually got them up last week and interviewed them when I was at Rosebud. But there's this lady. Now, I'm not saying that she's not special. She's an amazing lady. I'm not, not saying that. All right? But just a very normal, ordinary person, all right? like the most of us. 
Now, she was uh, involved in a remedial exercise group with a few others, uh, and they were um, in the car park getting ready to go into their session, and uh, she got to know a few of the people, and then one of the guys, an 80-year-old guy who was absolutely passionate uh, about soccer, about football. Um, he'd hate to hear me say that, soccer. No, football, all right? Um, in fact, he, he played for Argentina uh, when, he, when he's youth, and he's, when he was a young man. And uh, Alison was telling us this story. Uh, she won't mind me saying this because uh, she, she's told quite a few people. Um, she saw him in the car park. They're walking across and she said, oh, how was your weekend and all that? Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it was great. He said, oh, I was playing soccer. He said, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to pull up. So 80-year-old guy playing soccer on the weekend. How great's that? I, I hope I'm still surfing at 80. Um, so he's saying, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to pull up today in the exercise. Uh, and, he, and then he f finished by saying something like, oh, it's just my passion. I've got to do it, you know. Um, and then he said to Alison, he said, oh, what's your passion? And then this little moment, and then Alison said she just had that grace that said, oh, my passion's Jesus. You know, this moment where he could have said all sorts of things. And then she goes, no, my passion's Jesus. And the guy said, oh, he's my friend too. <laughs> How good's that? Um, in that moment. So they were chatting away and they came in and the, then they met another lady inside who was part of the group. And the lady said, oh, what are you guys talking about? And this Argentinian, Argentinian fellow said, oh, we're talking about our friend. Uh, and she goes, oh, who's that? And they both said simultaneously, Jesus. And she went, oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> Backed away. <laughs> See, it, the response people have is not up to us, right? That's in God's hands. What the passage is telling us to do is to be bold and leave the rest in God's hands and just when the opportunities emerge to talk about it so that's what Paul's trying to get across be bold they're the two things the two areas he's trying to tell us to be bold in now what's the one big reason let's have a look what he says here and many of us already know this verse 10 it says therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain, uh, obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So what Paul is saying here, why this is so critical, and I've said this before, I said it when we were actually doing 1 Timothy, Paul knows what's at stake here. People's eternal lives are at stake here. People's eternal destinies are at stake here. That's why we've got to be bold. That's why we've got to be strong in those moments so that they too can have an opportunity to respond. If we don't say anything, how are they going to hear? Paul tells us that in Romans. We need to have those moments where we say something, whatever it is. Even that song says, I speak Jesus. All right? Just whatever the opportunity is, whatever the moment is, to look for those windows that Dave was talking about before, where we talk about and mention Jesus, rather than being so kind of pushed and squashed by the broader culture that we don't say anything. Now, even that statement itself, I, there might be some people who are feeling uncomfortable about that, about saying directly that people's eternal destiny is based on Jesus. Now, I know, I feel the pressure of that. Now, I, in some of my work environments or in one of my work environments, I've got to be very careful about what I say. Um, there is enormous amount of pressure to actually make sure you don't actually say that salvation is based on Jesus alone. Uh, and or I could be charged or be uh, held to account for saying something like that because it offends people, right? So we've got to be very careful. There is that pressure that's on us. And there may be some here this morning who are feeling like, oh, I don't know, I'm feeling uncomfortable about that. That's just the broader cultural pressure. That's all that is. It's not that the truth is that Jesus isn't the king. 
It's the pressure that's on us. And in fact, that's how Paul finishes that. And I want to kind of finish up with this. All right. So then Paul finishes this with a little, um, what the ancient world or what most scholars think was a hymn in the ancient world, in the ancient church, where it says this, if we die with him, we also live with him. And here's this kind of duality thing of if we face the hardship and God, please know that we die as a result of that. Most of us, it's not going to be our circumstance. But there are people in the world where it is. If we die with him, we also will live with him. There is a reward for actually stepping out and doing these things. You will receive the promise that has been given us, even if you have to give your life for it in that sense. And then the next one where it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And so this kind of sticking with it to receive the prize, which was in those analogies we, we skipped over. And then this is the warning. It says, if we disown him, he will disown us. Now, that's uncomfortable to say. People don't like hearing that sort of stuff. But if you turn your back on Jesus and walk away, Jesus himself says it in the Gospels. He says, if you deny me here on earth, then I will deny you before the Father. These things are realities. We can't ignore them. And that's this last point. Now, I've got to add a little um, writer, a little... um, little exclusionary comment to this where it says in verse 13 if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself now I've got to admit there's quite a little bit of controversy about that around the place but the way I landed on this and the way I kind of understood the passage is what it's saying is this if we are faithless in that we either modify the gospel to fit in with others or we actually just go quiet and don't talk to anyone about it That doesn't change what the gospel actually is and the results of it. God is still faithful. He can't disown himself. So if we shift the gospel a little bit to say, oh, well, you know, like, yeah, yeah, um, it's a way, it's not the way. Uh, You know, yeah, look, if you just be a good person, that'll be okay. You know, uh, that whole thing. If we say that and we're faithless, that doesn't change the character of God. It doesn't make it so because we've said it. The character of God remains the same. All those passages where Jesus talk about him coming to actually be the final person to bring that sense of God's justice being enacted in the world. All those passages remain the same, even if we don't acknowledge them or or, um, we shift away from them. They still remain the same because God can't deny himself. He is who he is. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it doesn't change because of what we say. And that's why this is so important, that we don't give up and we don't actually shift the gospel to fit in with those around us because then they'll like us. Then they'll pat us on the back and say, oh, we like you. We like what you've got to say. Um, And then we kind of then have actually misrepresented God and misrepresented the gospel. So let me finish with this. What am I trying to say? The same thing Paul's trying to say right from the start. Can I challenge you to be strong in those two ways against any physical opposition to kind of shut you down and to keep you quiet and to not talk about Jesus, whatever it might be. And there is a growing sense that for some of us, it actually may even end up being, um, being charged and put in jail. There was a lady just recently who was, um, I don't know if she ended up being charged, but she was arrested for praying. 
because there was a group of people who felt threatened by that and felt that it was offensive that she was praying uh, to God about what was going on in that place. I don't, I don't know if any of you saw that. It was a few months back. And there was a growing kind of antagonism towards people who hold orthodox Christian beliefs and values. So can I say, be strong no matter what the opposition is and be strong when you're tempted to just make the gospel fit in a little bit better with the culture around you. Just modify it enough so that people go, oh yeah, we like that. We don't mind you. We're happy to have you around. Be strong against that temptation to do that. And it's a real, realistic temptation. We all face it. I, I get it. I understand it. I feel that temptation as well, often. But can I encourage you? Be strong. And I want to say this morning that if you already know that you're a person who is very frightened of what other people think of you and what they might say about you if you start talking about Jesus, can I pray to come and receive the grace of Christ? It's not about you being strong. It's about being strong in the grace that God wants to give you and wants to infuse in you. That's what's brilliant about the gospel. It's not about what you or I do, but it's about what God is doing. Can I encourage you, if you feel that pressure, if you feel like you're being squashed and kept quiet, please, we've got our um, prayer team will be here this morning. I'd love to pray with you this morning that you might know that grace and that you might be strong in that grace so that you can talk about Jesus freely without worrying about what others might say. Can I encourage you with that? Challenge you with that as Paul is challenging Timothy in the early church? Yeah? Let me pray. Father, thanks again for your word uh, and for the, uh, the strength uh, that Paul is actually pushing on to Timothy here and asking him in turn to push on to others so that they might continue to preach the gospel. And Father, we thank you that they were bold in that day because we wouldn't be here today if they weren't. And so we thank you for that, Father. But we pray that we in turn, when we face these challenges, we might have that same strength that is in Christ, that we might have the grace that's sufficient for each day, for each situation, to actually be um, the representative of Christ and to talk about him when those opportunities come. Yeah, and we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.